0: Welcome to the Atmosphere Church Podcast. On behalf of all of us here at Atmosphere, thank you for downloading or streaming this message. We pray that it will touch your heart and change your life. Regardless of what you believe, where you come from, or what questions you might have, you are welcome here. Our desire is to help lead you in experiencing God by following Jesus. If you want to find out more information about us, head over to our website at atmosphere.church. We have already prayed for you that today's message would speak directly to your heart and empower you to live the life that God has called you to live. Enjoy the message.
1: Serve day. Just got to give a shout out to all of you that came out. We were able to do 10 different serve projects yesterday, and we were able to change lives, see people healed, and see families restored, all because you guys showed up to serve somebody in need, and it was amazing. Uh, I'm hearing stories, uh, you know, still. Even this morning, I heard a couple of God stories of what happened from yesterday, so incredible things. If you want to see kind of an update, go to my social media, the Church of Social Media. You'll see some pictures. Next week, we hope to have a little recap video, but a special shout out to uh, Mitch and Gabrielle Lampert, who were our directors and and helped put that whole thing together. We couldn't really have any volunteers do this, but Gabrielle did it herself. We went and we did a whole catered lunch to our uh, frontline workers at Los Robles Hospital. They were able to eat wood Wood Ranch Grill uh, for their lunch, and then they went to a fire station and were able to feed a bunch of our firefighters, so I thought that was super cool. But um, anyway, so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of Nehemiah this morning like we have been in over the last month. We moved last week into the second part of the book of Nehemiah, and we decided to call it a whole new title for the series of these talks that we're doing, and we're calling it Revival. And we just thought it was—it's such a good uh, title because it describes what's happening in the book of Nehemiah. But it's also a good title because we have been talking and praying for a revival to happen for our nation for some time now. And to remind you, and, and to even tell those that are brand new this morning, we felt. After the the whole nation shut down, we felt like God was going to give us the ability to move back and meet in person on Pentecost Sunday, which was May 31st. And up until that week, we didn't think it was going to happen. We were just praying and and hoping that it would happen. And I got a phone call that Thursday before that Sunday that we could meet outdoors like this. And so we've been meeting ever since. And I really felt like that was God really speaking prophetically, like, I want to do something great With the United States. And it seems like after that, everything just went downhill. (laughs) Just every, there's been more uncertainty and more unrest as we continue to move towards Election Day, which is, you know, just here, what, next week. And you know, I'm not a political guy. I, I don't get any into any of that, so I, I don't care what political persuasion you are or whatever, how you feel about the president how you feel about the former vice president, but we're here to focus on what God is doing in our lives, in our community, and what he wants to do, what he wants to do in our lives, in our community, in our nation. So, so what I love about the book of Nehemiah is it really gives us a picture of what revival looks like and how we are to set revival up to happen. And as much as we want revival to happen out there, we need to understand as people of God, before we expect revival to happen out there, we must embrace the revival that God wants to do in here. And he wants to do revival in our own hearts. And the more revival we're experiencing personally, the more we will be ready to embrace the revival that God wants to bring us nationally. Are you with me on that? So we're gonna be in Nehemiah chapter nine. Let me pray this. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you, God, that it is here to equip us, Lord, to encourage us, to inspire us, and even possibly correct us. God, move in this place today. God, speak to our hearts Show us the ways, Lord, that you're reviving our lives and our families so that, Lord, we can embrace the revival that you want to bring to us as a nation. And We pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Amen. So last week we talked about being renewed in the word of God. This morning we want to talk about being renewed in worship, renewed in worship. Now this is a term, the term worship, we're accustomed to hearing this term associated with music and songs, like we just finished worshiping, right? So we've been singing, we've been playing music together, or doing a night of worship on Wednesday where it's going to be an extended time of music and and singing. How many of you love to sing and you love the, the music portion uh, of just? Our, our gathering, and even in your faith. You have, a, you have a, a favorite worship playlist. I have one on Spotify. If you don't have one, uh, we, we try to keep that updated. It's called the Atmosphere uh, Worship Mix, and, and you could go. Uh, PJ Cruz is, is uh, my Spotify uh, playlist name, but you could go there and you could listen to worship. But I want to talk this morning that worship is much more than music and song. Even though I, I love that we worship, because you know, some of you are like, why do we sing? You think about what music does to us. And some of you that are big music, how many are just big music lovers in general? You just love music, you know, you're always rocking out and turning it up. You know? there's, something, there's something about music, think about this, that unifies us regardless of how different we are. Think about that. When you're at a concert, Right, and you start singing along to the songs. Do you do you have any idea what kind of political persuasion the person is singing next to you? No. Do you care? No, because they're singing the lyrics like you're singing the lyrics, right? So, so you know, if I were to do, do do this, see, I don't have to sing it. You guys can. Come on, sing it. We will, we will. <laughs> see, see, it's like, it's something, I just have to do the drum beat and you guys are already tracking with me and it doesn't matter what political party you're affiliated with it doesn't matter wh- whether you love masks or hate masks it doesn't matter you know wh- where you grew up it doesn't matter what color skin it just all that matters is like there's this connectivity this unity that music seems to bring so when we come in here and we start singing what it's really doing is it's bonding us and uniting us and making us one so that God can do something so powerful as we are together as one. Think about that. So, so music and singing is a part of worship, but it's not all of worship. And I would go as far as to say music and singing is actually like a doorway into the heart of worship. It's a doorway into the heart of worship. And what we're going to read in Nehemiah 9 is the heart of worship being put on display for us to embrace it. Because before revival begins, we have to be renewed in worship. Nehemiah chapter 9 says, verse 1, uh, and I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. Mainly because of how it starts here. It says, on October 31st. So, so they're taking the, the, the calendar and, and figuring it all out and making it in a modern language. October 31st. This is this week. So I love it that we're covering the passage about the time that this is happening for the people of Jerusalem and Nehemiah. On October 31st, the people assembled again. God had helped them rebuild the walls and restore the gates. And at this time, they fasted dressed in burlap and sprinkled dust on their heads. It's an ancient tradition, and it's a way of repenting. And it says, Those of Israelite descent separated themselves from all foreigners as they confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. They remained standing in place for three hours while the book of the law of the Lord their God was read aloud to them. Can you imagine that? You know, some people get a little fidgety with a 40 minute sermon. Can you imagine? That some, some dude is reading the Bible for three hours and everyone's just standing there listening to it. And it says, then for three more hours they confess their sins and worship, there's the word, worship the Lord their God. See, in this chapter, what we see is the three elements of the heart of worship. The three elements. So, if you're taking notes, and if you can't see the screen, cool new feature we've been talking about this the last month is on the Bible app, the U version Bible app. You can go there, and we have our notes posted. So, if you go under the U version Bible app, go under events, you'll see Atmosphere Church, and you can pull up our notes and follow along. But, but here's what I call that: the three elements here, and, and I call it the CPR for a heart of worship. The CPR for the heart of worship. And the C stands for confession. So, whereas we're talking about singing and music and it's just kind of this doorway into worship, the heart of worship, when you're moving to a place of really connecting with God, then there is a part of that worship that is about confession. It's about coming into this place where you recognize that there are things in your life that you have opened yourself up to that you've decided to do or things that you've said that are are not in alignment with what God would want for your life? Can you think of something that you've done this week? Can you think of something you said this week that as you examine your life, you're you're thinking to yourself right now, yeah, probably that wasn't what God would really want for my life. Probably not what God would have wanted me to say at that moment to my spouse, to that driver on the 101, or whatever the case might be. Confession is simply the act of coming into agreement with God that what you did, what you said, is not the will of God for your life. It's not like you're going before God and saying, God, I know I'm going to just blow your mind right now, but I'm going to tell you something I did. You know, like we think of, like, you know, when we're little and we're going to a, you know, our parents and tell them, telling them that we broke the vase, you know, we're like, I'm going to come clean with you. You're not shocking God by saying, God, like, this is what I did. That's not what confession is when, when it comes to your worship. It's, it's putting yourself in a position. I'm saying, God, there are some things that I have done, things that I've said, that are not in alignment with what you want from my life. Now, in the New Testament, the Apostle John comments on this. And he, and he kind of brings it in to the central focus of our relationship with Christ. He says in 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now, I, I have to say that confessing your sin isn't so that you might become a child of God. You, you don't just confess your sin so, so that you're born again and again and again and again because we know that, that sin, as the Bible describes it, is anything that we do, anything that we say is missing the mark of what God wants for our life. That, that's what sin is. And it's not like we, we have sinned. It, we are sinful people. So we're, we're continually blowing it, but confessing it puts us in this place where we, we're not severing. When we sin, we're not severing our relationship with God. It's more like straining it. H- have you ever had a relationship difficulty that, you know, especially with a family member, that, you know, they're still in your life, but it's just, the best way to describe it, it's strained. It's, the young people would say it's awkward. You get around them and say, you know, some of us are thinking about Thanksgiving, it's gonna be different anyway with COVID, but you're thinking like, I haven't seen that relative since that kind of awkward conversation we had on Facebook, you know? And now you're going to be sitting in a room or in the backyard. And it's just like the best way. It's, it's a strained relationship. And so when we invite sin into our life, even with the relationship with God, even, even as being a follower of Jesus, what we're doing is we're straining that relationship. There's an intimacy that God wants to have with us. And the Bible tells us that when sin enters our life, and has its way in our life. It strains that, and it actually separates us. In Isaiah 59, verse 2, Old Testament, it says, It is because of your sins that he doesn't hear you. It's your sins that separate you from God when you try to worship him. So one of the best ways into the heart of worship is just coming before God and, and just being transparent and saying, God, there are things in my life I know that I need to come clean with you and just say that I I come in agreement that that is not what you want for my life. And there's something so powerful and and something so uh, restoring when you do that, when you just confess it and you just spend time letting God just restore and mend that strain in the relationship where there's nothing hidden. There's nothing standing between. It goes all the way back to the original sin when Adam and Eve were in the garden and they blew it and they went and hid themselves and God went after him and said, where where did you guys go? God knew where they were. And and they they tried to hide themselves from God. So when you come and you confess it, there's nothing standing between you and God. You have this, this intimacy restored once again. Because that's ultimately what God wants. He wants closeness. Worship is you getting super close with God so that God can have his full way with your life. So it's confession. So Nehemiah, the the people of Jerusalem, they're saying, hey we're gonna spend some time, even if it's like three hours, we're just gonna say, we're, we're all of this stuff that not only we did, but our granddads did, and our great granddads did, we're just laying it all out because we wanna just come in agreement and in alignment with God. So here's the P, write this down, it's praise. So the first, the C, that's, that's the confession, part of the CPR, it's confession. Now we're moving into praise. And, and praise, we understand that word because we use that word in our culture. You know we 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 praise our, our kids, you know, when they do something good, we we, we praise and we honor, right? We value uh, our our coaches or our leaders or whatever the case might be. And, and what we're doing is we're we're trying to give them value. That that's kind of the idea behind it. So we're we're thanking them and we're appreciating, we're we're increasing the value or how we, we're expressing the value towards. That person or, or that object. And so for God, what we're doing is we're praising God, meaning that we're putting value into who God is and what God means to our life. In a sense, worship, the word worship in itself means worth It means there's a value, there's a worthiness. And so we're, we're ascribing worth to God in praise. In verse 5 it says, Then the leaders of the Levites called out to the people, Stand up and praise the Lord your God, for he lives from everlasting to everlasting. Then they prayed, May your glorious name be praised. May it be exalted above all blessing and praise. So these guys, they were coming back into a relationship with God that had been really strained, really severed for a long time. And, and it was being reintroduced to them. So it was new. Can you think of maybe a time when something was brand new for your life and how you valued it and took care of it? Some of you, it was the first brand new car you drove off of the car lot. Some of you know that feeling, right? You're, you're like, whoa, it's a milestone moment, six miles on the car, or whatever. You, you know, the new car smell. You're like, oh, you know, I'm never eating in this car. You know, you go to the grocery store, you're on the very far back parking spot. You make sure nobody can park around you, no loose shopping carts can hit your car, right? You, you make sure it's, it's staying washed every week. You're staying, it's all nice. You're like, ah. Oh. It's a new car, and then, you know, one day you get hungry, and you can't go home, so you go to In-N-Out Burger, and then you go, and you put the In-N-Out Burger in your car, and now all of a sudden, it doesn't smell like new car anymore. It smells like grilled onions, smells animal style, you know. And then and then you go out to the car and you see the first scratch in your your paint and so you're like okay oh well, I guess I, I, I won't park it out as much and so you start kind of cheating up and, and now there's and there's some dings and some some little scratches and now this car that at one point I mean you did everything. you valued that thing now it's just like yeah it's my car yeah at one point you're just like oh I love that new car smell you get in it's like it just smells more like family now it's like. There's no smell. It's just family. See, We do that. The things that we value, the more common those things are, the more familiar they become, they kind of depreciate in our value or the value that we're ascribing to them. We do this with our relationships, too. We get married, right? You know, they call it the honeymoon phase. It's like, babe, whatever I can do for you. Open the door, you know, and and, uh, I love you. And sending them texts all day long, emojis and all of that. And then a couple years go by and it's, you know, none of that really happens anymore. (laughs) It, it, It just kind of wears off. What was once new and exciting and you valued and you showed value has become so familiar, you kind of take it for granted. Am I speaking in somebody's heart right now? When's the last time you heard the message of Jesus dying on the cross for your sin? That it just stopped you dead in your tracks and you thought to yourself, he did that for me died for me. He died for my sin. He gave his life for me because he loves me and he wants to forgive me. And he wants me to have this everlasting, eternal Zoe life. Wow. But let's be honest with ourselves. Some of us that have been coming to gatherings like this for decades we kind of hear the message of the cross, and it just—it's so familiar to us. I, I i don't think it's not that we—we we don't appreciate it, or we—we—we we, we don't, you know, celebrate that. But it just has lost its—it's its kind of its, its freshness. And praise. What praise does is it leans into something, and it, and it says, "I'm going to give this value." And I will tell you something about our emotions. Our motion always determines our emotion. And the world has gotten it backwards. The world tells us that let your emotions uh, lead your motions. But really, God has wired us to let our motions lead tell us our emotions. And so as we begin praising God, as we begin showing value to God, God will then have a lot more value to our lives. So a heart of worship is always going to involve praise or giving worth or ascribing worth to God, even when maybe circumstances aren't the best for you. Because we're all about praising God when things are moving for us in the right direction, right? Like everything's working out, I call it living in the land of Hunky Doryville. It's like everything's Hunky Dory. Everything's great. Marriage is good. Family's good. Health is good. Job is good. Money's good. But what about when things are not so good? Are are you still willing to ascribe worth and value to God? Nehemiah nine verse seventeen it says, "But you are a God of forgiveness, gracious, merciful, slow to become angry, and rich in unfailing love." You did not abandon them, talking about the way that even though the people of Israel continue to forsake God, never, God never forsook them. Authentic praise celebrates that God is good even when life isn't. Authentic praise celebrates that God is good even when life isn't. And some of us, we need to hold on to that because life isn't so good right now. I can't think of a better time to praise God when life isn't good because God is not bound by your circumstances. He's greater. He stands above your circumstances. And if anyone needs to be praised, it is God right now in the midst of your bad circumstances because your heart needs to be reminded that God is greater than the circumstances. David did it all the time throughout all of the Psalms. He would start off just saying, oh man, my life is not working out the way I thought it was, but God, I'm going to praise you anyway. I'm going to worship your name anyway. It's just that, that's the kind of tenacity you need to be in a place where you have a heart of worship. Nehemiah 8.6. This is something that I think is cool and it's noteworthy and I can't let it pass by without mentioning it. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Meaning, we agree, we agree. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Now, there is an ancient tradition that that dates all the way back to the Old Testament. When people would praise God, they would lift their hands. Some of you that are new to church gatherings may find it odd that when people are singing, they're lifting their hands up, and you're like, what is that all about? Maybe you came from a very conservative background, and that just strikes you as odd. But there's something about body movement like that, and and. and you know, kind of coming into a, a place where your body is following this gesture of lifting up God, and as you lift your hands up, there's a movement that happens within your soul. Psalm sixty-three, verse four: I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. Now we're never going to force you to lift up your hands where we're doing our singing, but I want to encourage you: try this. I remember the first time I lifted my hands at a church service and there was something so stirring in my heart when I did that. And I believe that God meets us in that place of us lifting up our hands, lifting up the value of God, lifting up our praise to God, that that God inhabits the praises of his people. I really do believe that. And it's one thing to lift up your hands while you're sitting in a church service but I don't know how many of you have ever felt lifting up your hands when you're in a non-church environment. I, I, this happened a few years ago. I, was, I love listening to, to worship music while I'm working out. You know, and so I'm listening to worship music, and I'm on a treadmill at the gym, and I'm getting caught up in worship, and I'm on a treadmill, and I'm running, and all of a sudden, I'm like, I need to lift my hands, and, and I was like, I'm at the gym. I go, I don't care. I'm going to lift them up anyway, and I almost fell off the treadmill, but I lifted up my hands, and I was just like, in that moment, I didn't care because there was this powerful moment with me and God, and I couldn't help but express it by lifting up my hands. Now, I I don't know. Maybe that's just too weird for you. And maybe the people at the gym thought it was weird. But I just—I couldn't help myself. I had to do something in order to show and express the value that God had with my life. And And it's something that is practiced even in the New Testament. And I don't have time to get into it. But just know that it's a powerful thing to praise God. And here's the R. And write this down, okay? It's repentance. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, David. Okay, so write this down. Repentance. Repentance. This is a word that you don't hear a lot about in church services. But this is, if, if you want a heart of worship, then repentance is always a part of it. And repentance literally means to change one's mind or change direction on one's mind. So that means that you're thinking this way and repentance is, I'm going to stop thinking that way. I'm going to think a different way. And so part of our heart of worship to God is to say, God, I've been pursuing my own direction, but now I'm making an about face and I'm going to pursue your direction. That's repentance. And the Bible is is full of all of these conversations about the power and the purpose of repentance. In Isaiah 29, or let me back up, uh, Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 38. It says the people responded in view of all of this. We are making a solemn promise and putting it in writing on the sealed document are the names of our leaders and the Levites and the priests. So they're putting it in writing. Basically, they're saying we were living this way. We're completely going to live a different a different way. And we're going to sign it. We're we're like making a covenant with God. Like we are not going to do this anymore in our life. They've made a change in the direction of their life. What they're saying in essence here is that our worship to God isn't just a song that we sing. It's a lifestyle that we live. It's a lifestyle that we live. So write this down. Worship is more than a song you sing. It's a lifestyle you live. Romans 12, verse 1. I love how the Passion Translation reads it. Very colorful. I love this language. It says, Beloved friends, What should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercies? I encourage you to surrender yourselves to God to be his sacred living sacrifices and live in holiness, experiencing all that God delights his heart. For this becomes your genuine expression of worship. Your living sacrifice. It means it's no longer about your life. It's God, what do you want with my life? And I'm going to live my life for what you want instead of what I want. That, that is a lifestyle shift. That's changing directions on how you're living your life. And, and your life becomes its own worship song to God. Because it's one thing to sing a song and, say, and declare all this stuff about God, and then you leave the, the worship service or whatever, and you just go live however you want. Jesus called out the Pharisees for being that kind of a religious person. Yeah, you say one thing with your lips, and you're declaring all these things with your lips, but your lifestyle doesn't match anything that you're singing. Isaiah 29, verse 13, the Lord says, These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. We must take it seriously, whether we are actually worshiping the Lord or we're just going through the motions. We're just singing these songs. Because if we're really repenting, there's a refreshment that comes. How do you know that repentance is active in your life? Because you are continuously being refreshed. Acts 3 verse 19. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. That times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Repentance is not a one-time act, church. It's a continual, daily thing that we practice. God, I did this, but I'm making an about face. I'm changing direct. I'm not moving that way. That is not who I am anymore. I'm a child of God. I'm born again. I am filled with the Holy Spirit, and this is the way I'm moving. And and that's repentance. And how do you know repentance is active in your life? You are being continually refreshed. Refreshed. So that's the CPR. But what does this look like practically as we kind of land the message here? There's a story that we just read last week in our daily readings in Luke chapter seven. Jesus is invited to have dinner with the Pharisee, this religious person of his time. And he wants to have Jesus over. And I don't know, I kind of think that he was gonna interrogate Jesus and try to trap Jesus. But anyway, Jesus accepted the invitation and he goes... And as he's there, this woman barges in to this dinner party. And she begins to worship Jesus. Well, let me read to you this scripture. I'm just going to read the whole passage and then make a comment. And we'll, we'll uh, end with our own song. It says, Now one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him. And he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume, and standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who's touching him, that she is a sinner, and Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, Say it, teacher. A money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? And Simon answered and said, I suppose the one who he forgave more. And Jesus said to him, You have judged correctly. And turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Then he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. And those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now there's a lot in that passage, but I wanna keep the focus on worship here. And I, and I wanna compare these two different people in this passage. You have the sinful woman who was so aware of her sin, and she was so aware of the the compassion and the grace and the mercy that Jesus carried with him, she barged into that room and could care less what everybody would think of her. She could care less what other people would maybe even do to try to stop her. And then you have this Pharisee, Simon the Pharisee, who was a religious guy. On the outside, he had it all going on, he knew the, the right moments to say, praise the Lord, hallelujah. He knew what outfits to wear at a church. He, he knew all of the motions and what he needed to do to be the Christian or the, the godly guy. But Jesus, in this passage, gives a comparison. And what I saw in this passage and what I want to give you as we talk about the heart of worship, if you were to really evaluate where you are today would you line up more with the sinful woman or would you line up more with Simon the Pharisee like is your worship in a place where it moves you into a place of confession where you acknowledge that man I need God more and more and more and and that you see the extreme value that God has in your life that you want to do everything in your power to change the direction of where you're going. Because that's where the woman was. Out of the two people, she was the one with the heart of worship. And it was her acknowledging how much she needed to be forgiven for. Folks, we're all like the sinful woman. We have all kinds of junk that needs to be dealt with. God continues to just unpack that a little bit at a time to show us, like, yeah, that, that needs to be addressed too. But we have to make the decision that we're not going to stay in this state of Simon the Pharisee. We're not going to let it just be words that we sing and not translate it into a lifestyle that we live. We want to move into a space where we're saying, God, you have all of me. because you gave me all of you. You know, communion is a very sacred tradition within the church. And some of you, maybe you've never taken communion before, but we gave you some cups as you came in. And if you didn't receive one, there's some in the back. You can, during this worship song, you could maybe get up and and go grab one. But uh, these are really cool, COVID-friendly. The little wafers on the top there, you can just peel the top back. Uh, Uh, Pastor Phil says if you give it a little squeeze, not too much or the juice will pop all over you, but if you give it a little squeeze, the little front flap will peel off and you can get the wafer out and then you can peel the foil back and you can get the juice out. But Jesus introduced us to this concept of communion when he was having dinner with his disciples before he was crucified. And he says, often as you drink this and eat this do this in remembrance of me because there's something so powerful in the idea of worship when you take communion because you're you're remembering the extreme value that jesus has in your life that without jesus you carry your own sin with jesus he carries all of your sin and so as you take communion you're recognizing the extreme value and paul says when you take communion, examine your hearts and confess it to God. So, really, honestly, when you do communion, you're really invoking the CPR of a heart of worship, because you're even repenting in this. And So, as we worship with this song, we're going to sing some of you, hey, I encourage you, whenever the Lord just kind of prompts your heart to do this, we're not going to do this corporately, but whenever you feel like you're ready, take that wafer, and, and that wafer is representing the body of Jesus that was broken that that was beaten beyond recognition, that hung on the cross with nails in his hands and his feet. And he did this out of love for you, so that you could be right with God and that you could have intimacy with God. And the juice represents the blood that was poured out that cleanses us from our sin. And so when you drink that juice, you're recognizing that it's the blood of Jesus that has actually cleansed you of all of the unrighteousness that you carry. See, some of you have never invited Jesus to lead your life. Well, communion is not necessarily for you. It's for those that have already made that decision to follow Jesus. But maybe after we've just done our talk, you're like, I want to be a follower of Jesus. Hey, I can't think of a better way for you to enter into this relationship with Jesus than Then taking communion, recognizing that, hey, Jesus, I recognize all that you've done for me, and I choose today with all of my heart to follow you. So some of you, you're going to make that decision for the first time in your life, and it's really simple. You just pray and say, Jesus, thank you for dying for my sin, for resurrecting on the third day so that you might put your life in me, and today I make a decision to empty myself, to follow you, to let you lead me all the days of my life, you pray that you take communion, and my friend, you are a child of God. You are born again, and that is something to worship. So we're gonna we're gonna let you take your own time, and whenever you feel ready, you can go ahead and, and take communion, and then. You know, if you feel led to just stand up, you feel led to raise your hands and praise God as we sing together, hey, feel free, let, let that heart of worship just come forth in Jesus' name. Let's worship.
0: Thank you for tuning in today to another great message from Atmosphere Church. If this message has spoken to your heart, would you take a moment and share it with your friends? You can connect with us on Spotify, iTunes Podcast, YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Simply do a search for Atmosphere Church through these various platforms and then click the follow or subscribe buttons. It's another great way for us to be able to stay connected with you. If you live in the Southern California area, we would love to invite you to be a part of our family. For more information about our church, go to our official website at atmosphere.church. Finally, if this service and our other resources bless you, would you consider giving back to Atmosphere Church to support not just these things, but to also support the creation of even more resources for you? To make a donation, simply go to our website and click the link that says GIVE. Your gift of any amount is greatly appreciated. Until next time, we pray you will keep the faith, spread the hope, and live the love.